And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 148 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 11.06 a.m. on June 23rd. 2019. We are coming up to the end of the month here, so that means that we are going to start recapping the first six months of the year for you all. This week, we are going to be going over the Oscar hopefuls that we have seen so far in the first half of 2019. Some of those films obviously have been released in theaters. Others, played at some festivals, have not received theatrical release yet, but we might be able to provide some insight into those categories as a result. So we're going to definitely be doing a deep dive into that today. We'll also be going over the polls, the trailer for the peanut butter Falcon and answering your questions on air here to help me do it today. I have Michael Schwartz. Hello everyone. Casey Lee Clark. Hello. Deanne Knighton. Hi friends. Cody Derricks. Hello. And Tom O'Brien. Hey everybody. All right, everyone. So, I will kick us off by asking the question of all questions, and I am sure that many of you are going to say Toy Story 4, but I will ask it anyway. What did you all see this week? We'll start it off with Michael. Matt, you're going to be so proud of me. This is a movie-heavy week. Two movies. Three movies. Oh, 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 God almighty. (laughs) So, I started off last week seeing Late Night. I finally caught up to that. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry to say I was very disappointed by it. Hmm. I thought it felt like a half-baked 30 Rocker Larry Sanders show episode, and it just felt very much in, like, very edgy for 2006. 2019, it just felt like a retread of ideas and themes that weren't fully developed to me. I like Emma Thompson very much and Mindy Kaling. It was entertaining to watch them. I don't regret seeing it. I just wish it had been more like what I had uh, been led to believe this movie was at Sundance. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, and we talk about that a lot, how sometimes something can be overhyped at a film festival. And then when you see it, you're like, oh, that's it. So I I can understand that. Not a bad movie, just, you know, a little disappointing. Sure. So I saw that. Then I caught I caught up with Ma with Octavia Spencer. (laughs) Ma, yes. (laughs) Ma is an absolute blast. (laughs) Uh, It would have been bad to have missed this movie in the theater because seeing it with an audience, seeing how everyone reacts to these truly shocking moments that come in the movie's third act. I know uh, Cody saw it. Did anyone else see it on this podcast? Yeah, I saw it. (laughs) Just just the two of us? I guess so. So, Anyway, yeah, uh, you got to catch up with Ma when it hits on demand or Blu-ray. This movie is just a hoot. And I think Octavia Spencer is as good as she's ever been. I I know it would make a great companion piece with Greta. As far as like a double feature goes. <laughs> yeah. Or you could have like uh, horror movies with women from the health, Ma and Mama. There you go. <laughs> oh my God. That is fantastic. <laughs> I'm in. So uh, that was just great. It's like a lean 95 minutes, something like that. But she's great. It's not 
true art or anything like that. Uh, there's some visual effects at the end that are as bad as anything I've seen lately. But, you know, just in terms of entertainment and a great performance, it's really worth checking out. So that was a lot of fun. And like everyone else on this podcast and the rest of the world, I saw Toy Story 4 on Thursday night. And Toy Story 4 is as wonderful as advertised. As a huge, huge fan of this franchise, it was great to see another entry, another entry that felt relevant and not just a cash grab, because I don't think Pixar would do that with these characters in this series. Uh, I had said to someone it was my least favorite of the four. And they said, oh, that's disappointing. But when you're ranking anything, something's going to come out at the top and something's going to come out last. So that's just how it works. We found that out with um, ranking Meryl Streep performances yesterday for her 70th birthday. (laughs) Right. Like when you have so much of a good thing, of course, something's going to come in last place, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It's like if you take three tests and get 100 out of 100 on them, and then you take the fourth one and get like a 99, you know, it's still pretty great. Yeah, I would be ecstatic with that, of course. So I'm going to go see it again. Maybe I'll even go see it two more times. I loved it, loved it, loved it. And I think it really brings this series into an interesting new territory and could be the end. But if it's not the end, it also shows you that things could be different going forward. So it was a good week. All right. Deanne, what about yourself? Well, so I saw Toy Story 4, which we talked about yesterday at mm-hmm. length, at yeah. great length. Um, so you can hear thoughts there. Um, I also watched Always Be My Maybe on Netflix, um, which I thought was, so that's Ali Wong and Randall Park and uh, romantic comedy genre. I, You know, it's interesting, though, because um, to me, this particular movie is really good, but it very much blurs the line of it could have been an episodic form for Netflix in so many ways. It reminded me of like things like Shrill and Love that they've been putting out. And so it's just interesting to see um, how Netflix is kind of changing that. And just because something's 90 minutes, we call it a movie, but it really could have been like a six-part episodic. Anyway, um, it's just an interesting conversation. It's good, though. Uh, Very fun and very funny. Um, I also saw Happy Death Day to You. I am a really big fan of the first one. Um, I think that there's something really interesting going on with with these films. They seem like they're going, going to be one thing, but both times with the first one and this one, I always find myself pleasantly surprised with the humor. Um, and um, yeah, so I recommend it. It's not as good as the first one, but it's good. Um, and the last thing I saw was um, an independent film called Rust Creek um, by uh, director Jen Morgan. Mm. And uh, it had a lot of hype around it as being this kind of, in, you know, uh, very feminist uh, female empowerment film. And also, you know, comparisons of like the female Breaking Bad, you know, those are like big statements. And so I went in, you know, optimistic that I was going to see something interesting. And unfortunately, it pains me to say that it was none of those things to me. So I, I really can't even recommend it. Um, it's it's a kind of a cat and mouse um, thriller that turns into a drug movie. Um, it's it's okay, um, but I don't know that I'd recommend it. Hmm. Yeah, I heard some things about that very, very early on in the year. I, I missed it. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed to hear that because I do remember thinking that that was one I would catch uh, at some point along with I – uh, there were two movies I haven't seen so far from the first half of the year. Uh, one of them is a vigilante with Olivia Wilde and the other yeah. one is uh, in transit. And I apparently need to see both of those because people were saying you need to see these, you know, so uh, Russ Creek, though, uh, that's that's definitely disappointing. Uh, moving on, though, uh, Casey, what about you? I've watched so many movies this week. <laughs> <So that means laughs> and in the theater. Um, 
and I won't bore people with all the old movies that I keep seeing in theaters. You can follow my Twitter for that content of me attempting to save classic film. Um, but I saw Toy Story 4 Friday night. And yeah, I really loved it. I cried a lot more than I thought I would. Um, but yeah, I really love all the new characters. I can't wait to see it again. It felt... I never think too much about how much I like the Toy Story movies because I don't remember the first time I saw the first two. They've just, I was born in 96, so they've just been a part of my life forever. And so I think any chance that I get to just be with these characters, I really enjoy. And so that was just like nice. It just felt nice. Yeah. And I like that. It's a nice night at the movies, you know? I went in incredibly skeptical, ready to hate the movie with my arms folded and scowling pretty much. And... To me, Toy Story 4's success is one of the most genuine surprises that I've had this year. And it feels weird to say that because it shouldn't be a surprise that Pixar <laughs> crafted a great movie. But I think it's more of a surprise that it does not ruin what was already such a perfect trilogy. It, it enhances it, really, and tells a story that needed to be told. Yeah, Pixar cash grabs, that's what Cars is for. Well, story is Finding Dory, too, to a certain extent. Yeah, I like Finding Dory. Yeah, and Monsters University too. Yes, that. Yes. Yeah, I, it, it, it's hit or miss. Incredibles two actually kind of worked, you know, to some degree. I, I don't know. It's I like Dory and Monsters aren't bad. They're just like not vital. No, exactly. I think that's the uh, the key there is that they they don't match up to the precedes, uh their predecessors. Where the Toy Story films, I mean. When I was asking everyone, I'll go over the poll results in a little bit here, but when I was asking people to rank them or say what their favorite is, I mean, you ask a different person on the street, you're going to get a different answer because each one of those films is so great in their own individual way. I mean, it's pretty mind boggling uh, how perfect a quadrilogy (laughs) they have created. (laughs) All righty. A quartet. Oh, is that what we're calling it? That's what I'm calling it. That's what it's (laughs) called. (laughs) <laughs> I, I saw quadrilogy uh, get thrown around a lot, so I, I feel like that's a made-up word. But also, I don't know. That's fair. Well, <laughs> I guess Cody, made up. Uh, what did you catch up on this week? Okay, so I did not see Toy Story four. So <gasps> I, <sighs> I am a very busy little boy right now. Um, I will, <laughs> will see it as soon as I can. It's um, it's Pride, my birthday week, and I'm in a show right now, so I have very little free time. But I'm trying my best. Well, happy pre-birthday to you, by the way. Uh, thank you very much. I and was... I am coming to see your show, Cody. Yay! I'm not scared. Um, okay, good. <laughs> uh, I did manage to see The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and we had a wonderful discussion on the podcast to review about that. I really actually thought that was probably our best review we've given, at least one that I've been on. And um, I also saw Ma, which I loved. Uh, I won't say much more because Michael kind of said everything I need to say, but it reminded me a lot of like 70s, 80s, De Palma-esque, uh, non-supernatural horror movie domestic thrillers. I know that's a very, sounds like a slim category, but if you see it's it and you recognize on. that, you'll know what I mean. Exactly. Highly recommended. Go see it. It's fun. Exactly. It's yeah. a lot of fun. And uh, that's about it. <laughs> oh, okay. I got you. I thought there was more. <laughs> no, that's it. The end. Tom? I uh, also went to see Toy Story 4, and like you, Matt, I went in with my arms crossed and just kind of praying, please don't let this be Godfather 3, please. Or Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull oh. was what was I was, uh, that's what I was thinking, or, or Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. I, I, I was genuinely worried. <laughs> Me too, gosh. And I was so relieved, you know, after those first few scenes, it's like, okay, it's going to be all right. 
Uh, I'm kind of with Michael. I, I think it's um, by a hair the least of the four, but boy, what a wonderful addition to uh, the Toy Story the, uh, filmography. It's I, I, I was just knocked by, knocked out, but I didn't blubber through it the way I did through uh, two and three. Oh, I was a mess after three, um, but it did bring a tear to the eye, and yeah. uh, so it's a, it's just a wonderful experience. Uh, one thing I did see that um, uh, we haven't really, I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast yet, is a music documentary called Echo in the Canyon. Mm. Uh, and it's yeah, all about... That's been big with Art House. Very big with Art House. It, uh, it has the second biggest uh, opening weekend per theater average after late night uh, at about 50,000 a theater. Uh, it, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's about Laurel Canyon. And if you haven't heard about what, where that is, it's an area in Los Angeles above Hollywood that connects um, L.A. to the San Fernando Valley on the other side. It's a, it was an area in the late 60s and early 70s where a lot of musicians lived. And uh, if you remember the scene in Rocketman, uh, after uh, Elton uh, has his big concert at the Troubadour, they go to Cass Elliott's house. Mm. That's Laurel Canyon. It's kind of a romanticized version of what Laurel Canyon was, but you get the idea. It had a real heavy music vibe, a heavy drug vibe, and it was a very creative place. And uh, they have all of the uh, uh, usual suspects of that uh, era in you know Crosby, Stills, Nash, the last interview with Tom Petty, uh, and... Uh, Michelle Phillips, Roger McGuinn from The Birds, Jackson Brown, John Sebastian. They have a lot of people from that era. The only people that are missing, and I wish were in it, but it could have been their own decision because they talk about both of them a lot, was Joni Mitchell and Judy Collins. But uh, otherwise, they, you know, they've got uh, Jacob Dylan put this documentary together, and it's a uh, he, he obviously has the connections to get these folks, and they were they were fine. The, the most compelling story is probably the David Crosby one, uh, but uh, he's probably it's going to be uh, probably the same kinds of stories that you'll uh, see in the David Crosby documentary that's coming. Remember my name that's coming out on July nineteenth. Hmm. J- uh, Jacob Dylan and a few of his friends Beck, Nor Jones, Fiona Apple have a big concert downtown of some of these songs. That's okay, it, but it's sort of, you know, it looks like some baby boomers nostalgia concert you know, that uh, PBS would show during Pledge Week. <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 fine, but it's there's nothing special about it. It's the interviews that make it. Uh, it but it's really a documentary only for people who uh, like that era, and I do, and I enjoyed it. Oh, there you go. That's cool. And that's one of two big music documentaries out right now with the Art House. There's that, and then Ron Howard's Pavarotti. Yeah. Yep. Which I know people are really loving. I haven't had a chance to see that one yet. Um, I think Katie saw it, but I could be wrong about that. I know she expressed desire to want to see it, so we'll have to follow up with her and see if uh, she had a chance to check it out yet. Uh, For myself this week, I saw American Woman starring Sienna Miller, who gave one of my favorite lead actress performances of the year so far. It is a heart-wrenching character study about a woman living in suburb uh, Pennsylvania uh, who is just going through a lot. Her daughter ends up going missing. Uh, She has a bad reputation around town. And the movie just tracks her development over the years. And Sienna Miller just completely owns this movie. I mean, I have not seen her get the opportunity, I feel like, to own the screen the way that she does here. And it's just such a 
pleasure uh, to watch. The movie's actually directed, <laughs> I found this out later, it's directed by Tony Scott's, uh, not Tony Scott, Ridley Scott's son, Jake Scott. Really? Whose oh. last film, you guys might remember this, Welcome to the Rileys. James Gandolfini, Kristen Stewart, Melissa Leo. Oh, yeah. Vaguely. <laughs> now, it was from so long ago, and he hasn't really done much since then. So I was very, very surprised by this. Um, very, a small movie. You know, it's not uh, going to be a big title or anything like that. But it's one that I really, really hope that people just remember for Sienna Miller's performance, and they can find a way to bring it into the awards conversation, uh, which... I'm going to do a little bit later in the show. <laughs> I also saw she really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also saw Child's Play. Uh, we'll have a podcast review of that later on this week. Uh, suffice to say, it was one of the most uh, confusing viewing experiences I have had recently where I walked out of the movie and I did not know how to feel. I did not know if what I saw was complete and utter garbage or if it was so trashy to the point that it actually became enjoyable. I, I'm still not sure. And I don't know exactly what they were going for if it was one or the other. Like, were they trying to make a serious slasher film that ended up being awful? Or were they trying to make a campy slasher film that ended up being great? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, hopefully when we have our review this week, uh, hopefully I can get a little bit more uh, information from others on that and maybe we can sift through it and see what uh, they were trying to achieve. And then... Finally, I saw uh, Ari Aster's follow-up to Hereditary. I saw Midsommar, which is one of my favorite movies of the year, easily. I got asked immediately after I saw it how I would stack it up to Hereditary. And I can't answer that right now. There are certain things that I like Hereditary for that belong exclusively to Hereditary. For example, I like Hereditary more because it is a self-contained story that feels more personal where Midsommar just has uh, similar themes as Hereditary but it's just grander it just feels bigger the ensemble is obviously bigger the scope of it is bigger the filmmaking that Ari Aster displays is just on a level that I feel that other filmmakers are not exploring right now I mean, the way he utilizes the production design, the cinematography, the music from a filmmaking standpoint, uh, he is the real deal and Hereditary was not a fluke at all. And Florence Pugh is just, God, I, I bow down to her right now. Maybe, maybe not as hard as I did Tony Collette last year, but man, oh man, did she give a really, really great performance in this. And one that I don't think will give her awards buzz, but it could potentially help her build a narrative for another role in the future. Now, my immediate question to you after seeing this was, is it as scary as Hereditary? And you said, not even close. And I, like, am a little, not concerned about that, but, like, Mm -hmm. Hereditary is one of the scariest film experiences I've ever had. And I, consume horror movies like it's my job. So how does that, like, how do you reconcile that, liking it so much but not finding it too scary? Uh, The movie is more hypnotizing, and it has a lot of dark humor in it that kept things light and just weird at times and it was very enjoyable in that sense it wasn't in my opinion as much of a deep dive into such gloom and doom and primal horror as hereditary was because hereditary had something in there that just from a personal human standpoint uh shook me to my very core that if something like that would ever happen in real life 
I, I'd be beside myself. And I think that's why I resonated so much with Tony Collette's performance in that movie. Um, there's only, I think, if my memory serves me correctly, one true jump scare in Midsommar. The rest is all just disturbing imagery and unnerving dread and suspense. But it's not what I would consider scary, if that makes sense. All right. I'll be the judge of that. Yeah. Think of it this way. Think of it like um, uh, the imagery that Suspiria was able to uh, conjure up last year. That wasn't scary. It was okay. just, you know, what yeah. you, you see, catch yeah. my drift here. That, that's perfect because Suspiria was my favorite movie last year, but I would not call it scary, but I still loved it. So that uh, that gives me hope. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film Podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's oh, what you're I, I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it that. That's just how <laughs> it works. All right, so moving on from that now, uh, we are going to talk about the first half of 2019. We're going to talk about any movies that we've seen in the first half this year that warrant Oscar discussion. This came up actually a lot this week because Toy Story 4, obviously, after the reviews it got and just the overwhelming response, a lot of people are calling this for the best animated feature Oscar this year. I am not quite so sure, necessarily. I'm not ready to declare it the uh, winner. Obviously, it's the front runner right now based on what we have seen, but it just prompted a discussion amongst a bunch of people about other categories besides best picture. What do the acting races look like? What do some of the texts look like? What does foreign language film look like? Documentary. So this is a chance for us to go through all the different categories right now and take a look at which films seriously uh, can contend in these categories, but also too, feel free to... Put your own FYC out there. Is there something that you feel is awards worthy? May not get a fair shake, but people really should consider it. Let's uh, really dive into that. I actually want to start with the animated feature category so far. Um, obviously, Toy Story 4 is there, but is there other, are there other films from the first half of the year so far you feel could be in the animated feature discussion? How to How Train to, Your Dragon. Yeah. 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 That's really the only one. I mean, I loved the Lego movie too. Not as much as the first one, but they didn't even nominate the first one. So I don't really think that even has a chance, unfortunately. What about Missing Link? That sort of bombed. I know they like Leica, but we're going to have so many other heavy contenders throughout the year, like Frozen 2 and uh, maybe The Lion King, depending on what happens with that. So I think Missing Link is... Uh, just going to disappear yeah if they still as their other stuff yeah if they still went by their old uh nominating process which uh it was a smaller committee rather than the whole academy i believe then i would say maybe missing link had a chance to get in but in the past two years we've seen really populist nominees for this category because of that opening up the uh voting pool so 
I don't really think Missing Link has a chance, unfortunately. No. So, do, so we feel comfortable saying that Toy Story and How to Train Your Dragon right now, pretty much everyone's animated feature lineups should include those two at least right now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And unless Frozen Two like really knocks out of the park, uh, I think Toy Story does have this because I can't think of anything else that's really going to challenge it aside from Frozen. I have my suspicions about some upcoming contenders that are not from the major studios. I'm wondering if we might get something like a like a Persepolis kind of contender in a, th- this even time around. So when you have the Academy voting at large for this category, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to go with the Pixar with Tom Hanks and everybody. And that has 98% of Rotten Tomatoes. Sure. No, I, I totally understand that argument. I think it goes back to what we were thinking about Incredibles 2 last year, where it was a placeholder until something better came along later on in the year. And I have this genuine feeling that Toy Story could also be that this year. It was, I think this time last year, none of us had Spider-Verse on our radar, really. No. For the Oscar. Right. We knew it was a thing, but we didn't know like it was going to be what it was. No, right. yeah, I didn't no. Call I... for a winner until after it won the Golden Globe. So, so. Same. Yeah. so Adam's family, there we go. Which <laughs> does look fun, by the way. Okay, um, documentary, uh, documentary feature of this year has been, uh, in my in my opinion, very impressively strong. Um, yeah. I think the conversation starts with Apollo Eleven. Definitely. Yeah. Up until I saw Toy Story, that was my favorite movie of the year so far. I think I'd put Knock Down the House in there too. For now, I mean, based on what I've seen first half of the year. Yeah, Netflix always has a good history here. I, yeah. I, I think it was popular, but I don't see that lasting the whole year. No, but for the now. Doc Branch is very snobby about things. Mm-hmm. And I think it was even a big deal that uh, RBG got in last year. Yeah, yeah that kind of surprised me, yeah. definitely. Yeah, so, I, I think they did it because it was her. I don't think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is going to have the same level of prestige that the Supreme Court justice has. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and, they, so. and they're, they're really very snobby in terms of movies that have uh, archival footage in it. Um, I, yeah. I think that uh, 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 Apollo 11, I think is probably too popular because they tend to, uh, nom- they tend to shy away from really popular movies like uh, in the past. But uh, I, uh, I think uh, biggest little farm has a shot. Yeah, yeah, I think that has a better shot than Apollo. Yeah. And those are both being uh, backed by Neon. So it will be interesting to see which one of those two catches on. Apollo 11 is being looked at as this technical achievement for its editing, mostly. I, I actually have a feeling Apollo 11 could even show up in some critics groups uh, awards snagging like, you know, Los Angeles film critics, best editing runner up or something like that. And people are like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> you know what I think has a really great shot? And it's from Netflix. Mm hmm. It just opened the edge of democracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Will Mavity raved about this out of Sundance. That's just the kind of subject that has a nomination written all over it. Uh, then, of course, there is Hail Satan, which was, I think, very popular. Uh, and definitely I saw a lot of people talking about that. Oh, I saw it. And I, I actually really enjoyed it and was pleasantly surprised. But I just don't think there's any chance. OK. Uh, American Factory. Has anyone had a chance to see that one? No, but the Obamas are executive producers. <laughs> oh, are they now? <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, that that could be uh, that could be something interesting. You have two coming out this summer that premiered at Sundance: uh, the one about Mike Wallace and then the one about Roy Cohn. Yes. Again, I don't know if that translates to Oscar, mm-hmm. but it's worth having in the conversation. What about One Child Nation? 
Has anyone heard anything about that one? No, but I've, I've well, I've heard some rumblings about it that it's really good and very upsetting. So yeah. they always like that. Yeah, they always like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's currently sitting at a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Release date is August 9th. Um, it has screened at a couple of different film festivals, including Tribeca and Sundance. And yes, you're right, Tom. People are definitely really, really enjoying that one a lot. So um, I would say, though, right now, I mean, documentary is always tough, right? What about what about the adventure? I think that uh, qualifies more for television than for the Oscar. If I am I getting am I am I am I getting that right? Wasn't that a, uh, a HBO documentary? No, it's eligible for us. It's eligible, yeah. 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 Okay, I thought I thought it would be eligible for the TV uh, documentary awards instead. Yeah, if they really want to do something crazy, and I don't think they will, even though Netflix is behind it, uh, there is a Martin Scorsese's Rolling Thunder review. I, I heard that got really, really positive reactions. I don't see that happening. It got really positive reactions now. from the people you would expect to give it really positive reactions. Hmm. Yeah, like you're not going to have a non Dylan fan come and review it. Yeah, I heard a lot of confusion about that movie in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it played fast and loose with the facts. Is that right? So yeah, it's um, definitely a Scorsese doc. Yeah, uh, I don't know. He they they don't lately love uh, concert stuff. Is this more concert? Or is this more? Uh, no, it's like okay. I I don't even know how to explain. I I didn't see it, but I know it's like. Definitely Marty doing his thing, and it's not like him just filming footage. It's two oh, yeah. and a half about, hours long. Oh my god! Oh, what about um, Amazing Grace? Or is that just going to be considered that was last a year. concert? Last year. Oh yeah, yeah. They dropped the ball with that. That definitely could have been this year, but for and some they, reason they submitted it in the other year. And mm-hmm. they were so stupid because they uh, uh, <laughs> so <they> stupid. <laughs> It was stupid uh, Oscar wise because they uh, submitted it before they got a distributor. Mm, yeah, you really do need to have a distributor behind it to be able to do it right, and they didn't. Yeah, Neon would have put so much money into that this year; oh, they probably could have. Man. Won. Yeah, it sounds like they're just trying to catch some sort of uh, Aretha Franklin sympathy wave, which is I understand, but like you know, yeah, if you don't have a distributor, not really going to work. I, I'm really curious. Didn't the controversy surrounding uh, OJ Made in America didn't? the ruling that the Academy put in place prohibit things like the inventor or uh, leaving Neverland uh, getting in. Yeah. That's how they have their ways. Yeah. I think that was more to do with um, kind of uh, anthological documentaries. Let me, let me do a quick search. Let me look that up because if that's the case, then uh, I don't know because leaving Neverland was presented in two parts, even though it screened as a whole at Sundance at a whopping 236 minutes long. But I think it did open in theaters as one long movie. Yeah. So that's how they got it in. I'm reading this piece on IndieWire about Oscars 2020, and they do have both those movies listed. Interesting. Okay. So, I mean, if okay, they have here's the rule. Them. It's um, multi-part or limited series are not eligible for awards consideration. So even if they kind of did the thing where they pretended it was a movie, essentially, and screened it, I think they would still call them out and say, you can't do that. But I don't think it has anything to do with... Um, the platform. So if it had a theatrical release, like the adventure, then I think it would uh, count. Okay. So Yeah. I think edge of democracy and biggest little farm are the top two here. Yeah. Uh, when we're looking at the foreign language or international now, uh, best international feature film category, uh, obviously our minds go immediately over to can 
and what premiered there, what caught on with Buzz, what do we think is going to uh, make it through the rest of the year. And I think that we have to, first and foremost, look at the Palm d'Or winner, Parasite, which from a narrative standpoint for Bong, uh, definitely that sounds like it makes sense right now, given where he's at in his career and the credibility that he's built up for himself with his filmography. Yep. So I, I would say, if anything, that sounds like a safe bet right now. Yeah. But South Korea has never had a international film contender be nominated for the Oscar. This would have to be Crazy. the first. And yeah. They've had a plethora of amazing films just in the past, like, five years. That's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Burning came very close last year. Like the Handmaiden and stuff like that, but still. Yeah. I think the narrative's definitely there, and I think the having it win the palm, I think, is going to help that a lot of it being like in the conversation. The big thing for me is that is, is Korea going to submit it? Because there's a lot of political stuff there. It's a huge box office hit over there. So maybe they just want to go with the populist one. It's also got neon behind it who are looking to make some waves right now uh, within the studio world. And I, I, I get this feeling based on the acquisitions that they're making this year. They are not fooling around. Like, they're, they are coming for something this year. Yeah, but then you also have heavy hitters with uh, Amazon and Sony Pictures Classics here because they also have uh, Les Miserables and Pain and Glory. Pain and Glory uh, definitely is going to be one to watch out for. Obviously, it's Pedro Almodovar. Uh, that's, I you know, enough said. I actually have an easier time seeing that go into director, actor, screenplay, maybe even picture, mm-hmm. than international feature. Just because, you know weird shenanigans tend to happen here. Not to mention Pedro has a track record for his films landing in other categories outside of the foreign language. I, I got to stop saying that international film category. <laughs> yep. And he won the Oscar for screenplay for talk to her. Yeah, so we'll see. That could definitely land here if they do it the mm-hmm. right way. Yeah. Portrait of a lady on fire. Lots of buzz coming out of Cannes for that one. Winner of the screenplay award and being distributed by neon. I don't see that as Oscar. I see that as indie art house hit. Okay, all right. About it. Just, I, so, you, I, so you think France would submit Les Miserables over that? I do. Yeah, mm. probably. Interesting. Yeah. It's got a great title, though. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Wait, wait, wait. Which wait? Les Miserables? You mean? Uh, no, no. Portrait of a Lady oh. on Fire. <laughs> it is eye catching. Very dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. That definitely is a uh, attention grabber right there. Uh, what else do we have that also uh, generates some buzz over at Cannes? For the foreign, for the international, my God, <laughs> film category. <laughs> uh, Atlantics was one that got picked up by, uh, I believe it was Netflix, if I remember correctly. So uh, that's another one that I also heard uh, did really, really well there. Um, that could also contend. That is a, which country is that? That is France. France. Oh, it's France again? Get out of here. Uh, right. Yeah, that's the thing. Is what is France going to pick? It's, uh, it's listed at every... Uh, I see it's listed as Senegal. So um, it might... You know, you know, France has a hand in like uh, producing a lot of stuff, but it might mm-hmm. not be a French submission. French, French oh, submission. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know for sure. All right. But basically, I think when we take a look at everything from the first half of the year so far, it really kind of boils down to Parasite and Pain and Glory. Yeah. Most likely. So far, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm very curious if France will submit Les Miserables over Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I didn't consider that until this conversation, and that is definitely something to keep an eye out for. All right, moving on now uh, to that. Would there anything just from a technical 
standpoint, I don't want to go through all of the techs, but was there anything this year from a technical standpoint, art direction, costumes, cinematography, anything like that that really, really stood out to you all? Uh, Rocket Man for costumes is the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Um, and maybe makeup, maybe. Pikachu for visual effects. Oh, please. I'd love that. <laughs> I mean, Avengers Endgame for visual yep, effects exactly. is kind of a no-brainer, I feel like. Maybe even some sounds if they're feeling generous, but maybe not. I don't know. I don't see that happening. Uh, it's so funny. I actually see more likely uh, a best picture possibility than I do a sound possibility for that film for some reason. <laughs> hmm. It's so weird. I would love if Last Black Man in San Francisco got into best original score. Like I said on the review, I'll be banging the drum for that all year. But yeah, not quite sure. Rightfully so. Uh, just because I always love getting a chance to talk about it at any point in time. Uh, Serenity for Razzie Awards. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, I still need to see that. I, so, I want to see it so it. badly. <laughs> I so considered great. buying it on Blu-ray the other day. I was so close. Oh, I just I just want to revisit it with my uh, roommates and just like revel in how awful it is and how enjoyably awful it is at times. Uh, Aladdin for nothing. Maybe costumes. Disney has a good track record there with their live action stuff. I mean, Maleficent and Cinderella and uh, what was the one that they just had? Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. Those get into the costume race and sometimes art direction. But um, I don't know if this will be able to maintain with the all this other stuff Disney has this year. But mm -hmm. we'll see. Aladdin was a lot of fun, I thought. You know, it was just the nice time at the movies. But costume design, I thought the whole thing looked a little cheap. I think that has more to do with the cinematography than anything, which is still, for me, for a major studio film, probably the worst I've seen this year. <laughs> I, I did not like how that film was shot at all. And I don't think it did the art direction and the costume design any favors. So Right. So I think Rocketman has a better shot in costume design. Yeah. yeah. Do we think that Jordan Peele's Us is going to go completely unrecognized in the tech categories? Yeah, I so. yeah. I don't really know where it could appear. If maybe. it's eligible for score, maybe. I don't think it maybe, will be. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I don't think but it will I be. Don't. Maybe editing, but I feel like... There will be more high-profile Oscar exactly, contenders later yeah. in the year that will overshadow so, maybe it. Maybe one of the sounds. Yeah. All the like, people liked it, but no one was like, overly passionate about it. No, every, all the tech stuff is solid, but solid doesn't get nominated. Yeah. yeah, I would love to see Lupita get nominated. We'll get there personally, but I mean, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, fine. We'll, we'll get as there. As far as score, horror movies have a very weird track record with the Academy. I mean, yeah. I think off the top of my head, The Omen is the only one that's ever won, hmm. which is weird considering how prolific and iconic so many horror film scores are. And I, I wish that were not the case. Yeah. Uh, what if I, I know this might sound a little like odd, but what if John Wick Chapter Three Parabellum? Like is contending for that lone sound editing nomination that we thought could go to Mission Impossible Fallout last year. Mm. Uh, unless you're Mad Max Fury Road, it's a little weird for them to jump in on uh, a movie that far down the line. Okay, um, yeah. I guess Board Supremacy is a good example. Uh, yeah, but that was kind of a phenomenon at the time. Sure. Yeah, John Wick is Born Ultimatum. Sorry, removed from Oscars. All right. Uh, anyone else have anything? else they would like to say no i mean most of our predictions are about the later in the year so yeah have to wait. yeah i will say that from a technical standpoint uh midsummer for me is probably the most well-crafted movie i've seen uh with its cinematography production design editing the score and i am just beside myself thinking that it will not get recognized at all but i hope that somebody can prove me wrong 
Oh, there is one more to add to all this. It's not opening the first half of the year, but it has been seen uh, once upon a time in Hollywood. Oh, which I don't think we're counting as a top tier contender necessarily, but I can definitely see it factoring into production design and costume design. Oh, yeah. yeah. If they want to go back to Tarantino. Yeah. What about Hidden Life, too? Oh, oh, my God. Hidden Life. Deanne, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) That that is one we've talked about in the podcast with uh, our friend Ann Thompson, who has a really good read on what the Academy responds to, says that this could be a top tier contender. Fox Searchlight has it for the fall. It premiered at Cannes. Yeah, that's one. I actually have my best picture lineup right now. So for tech, maybe um, editing. Cinematography. Cinematography. Yeah. 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 Yeah, cinematography. It's not Lubeski. I don't know who is doing it. Uh, the cinematographer is Jorg uh, Widmer, not Emmanuel Lubeski. Mm. Okay. Oh, music by uh, James Newton Howard. Yep. Mm-hmm. James Newton Howard is always someone to watch out for in this category. He's received eight Academy Award nominations. And also, uh, if I recall, yeah, he's never won. Ooh. All right. Best adapted screenplay. Is there anything that you have seen this year from a writing standpoint that would fall into the adapted category. Loose. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that, and we'll get to supporting actress. I think that's that movie's best chance. And I think that there'll be people like us, you know, championing that the entire year. So. Yep. What did I think that was original? It's, a par- it's based on a play. Yeah, exactly. Okay. There's a lot of movies this Very year good. that I'm st- are still not sure if they're original or adapted. So it's fair. Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, you got to consider Toy Story 4. I mean, two of the three movies were nominated for a screenplay. I don't know if this has the super passionate reaction that the third one did, obviously, or even the first one. But just based on track record, I have it in my lineup. Not my not my top five, but it's my uh, broader scope uh, purview, if you will. I said this on the podcast when we reviewed Toy Story 4. I felt like Toy Story 3, getting all of those nominations it received, kind of felt like a Return of the King esque moment for the mm-hmm. franchise in how much they rewarded it with nominations for a picture the sound the, uh, the song and you know won the Oscar for Randy Newman for that as well and I don't I'll, I, I, I'm currently only predicting it for animated feature I understand it could contend for a sound category or for the screenplay like you said there Cody um, I just don't sense the to your point, the level of passion there for it. Yeah, I, I, there would have to be a lot of disappointments and what else I have in my lineup for it to make it through, I think. But I just based on previous movies history, you have to consider it, I think. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't come up with anything from first half of the year, but there's definitely some heavy hitters coming. Yeah, I would say uh, looking at every single thing that I've seen so far this year, the only thing that makes sense to me on paper is loose. Yeah. That is the only one that makes sense to me. I have two in original screenplay that have been seen already. They haven't opened yet, but they've been seen. And they're in my top five. I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yep. which I think is hanging on by a thread there, mm-hmm. and The Farewell. Yeah, The Farewell is one that I think, to me, The Farewell is the kind of movie that critics, I think, are going to definitely go to bat for that movie in a lot of different categories. Aquafina, an actress, uh, supporting actress, picture, uh, director. But it screams to me as the type of movie that will land with a lone screenplay nomination. And original is pretty thin this year. Adapted is where it's at. Well, so if we're digging deep on the first half of the year, I don't know, I could maybe throw us in there. And also yeah. you, you, um, Matt, did you see the report at Sundance? I did. What do you think there? I am not as big on that film as a lot of other people are 
precisely because while I think it is well-researched and it presents the facts very well, I think it lacks a tremendous amount of characterization for all these actors. And I had no idea who these people were supposed to be outside of their jobs and what they were doing uh, in their work. And sometimes that can... Uh, you know, that, that sometimes that can work when you're telling a procedural thriller as this is. But for me, it was lacking. Well, that doesn't bode well for a screenplay nomination. Then. <laughs> um, but what about Pain and Glory here? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah I, I think that that's yeah. definitely in, in the hunt. Uh, the Farewell, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I, I want to throw this out there because I think there is a chance. I think Booksmart could contend here. Yeah. It's not crazy. What about a late night? I used to think that, and then the film did not become the big hit that I thought it was going to be. But Booksmart, I feel, has that passion behind it the same way sure. Eighth Grade did last year. Yeah. And and two, I think there's something, there's an underdogness about it that uh, because it didn't do well and some people thought it was mishandled. Uh, really, I think they would m- want to support it somewhere, and this would be the most logical place to do it. I, I agree. Someone just mentioned Pain and Glory here, and we've been talking about it in the screenplay. For some reason, I didn't have it written down, so I definitely think that gets in over Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of that, outside of that, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now that is a serious contender. Uh, there were certainly good screenplays. Don't get me wrong that I've you know seen this year, but nothing that I think would actually realistically be in the hunt right now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. So then uh, moving over now to best supporting actor. Have there been any performances that you have seen so far this year that would be in the best supporting actor lineup for you or at least contend maybe with critics groups or something? Uh, If 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 (laughs) they really want to do it, if they push Downey Jr. supporting for Endgame. That's, I think, the only thing I can think of from this half, first half of the year. I really, really, really don't think it's going to happen. But if we're talking first half of the year, that's the only one I can uh, imagine. Yeah. And another yeah. stretch would be John Turturro and Gloria Bell. I mean, but it's a stretch because there's just not a lot the first half of the year for this category. No. Yeah, no. No, definitely. Yeah. There definitely has not been. Um, there's nothing. No, nobody from Rocket Man. Um Man, you're right. It's really Bryce Dallas Howard for <laughs> actress. Uh, there's nothing here. Yeah, I truly have nothing else. My personal winner of the year is Hemsworth in the Endgame so far. That's it. <laughs> okay, so let's think about movies that we haven't seen that have screened though. Um, what about mm-hmm. do we like? I don't know what the category placement is going to be for like Brad Pitt, for example, yeah. for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Up, he looks supporting, but also I, I, who knows. Yeah, because then he'd be lead in Ad Astra. But so they're trying to, you know, not have him be competing with himself anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then and have Leo be lead. So. Right. And where are they going to push uh, Tom Hanks for a beautiful day of the neighborhood? Well, nobody's seen it yet. So. Yeah, true. No one knows. <laughs> what about uh, the guy from Loose, Calvin Harrison Jr.? He is the lead, and I will He's not hear He's otherwise. He's a titular role. Okay. <laughs> we all know what's going to I, I will be beside myself if they campaign him supporting. He is not supporting in that. I can see Matt, him have you ever seen this like movie called Spirits, and that's about it. Make your quip, Michael. Go ahead. Have I ever seen what? You ever see this movie called Ordinary People? <sighs> yeah, don't even get me started. <laughs> 
Oh, man. What about Winston Duke and us? No. No. <laughs> okay, come on. I'm I'm reaching here. No, I know. I know. I just, I, I mean, I'm just being honest. Like We're just frantically looking at our movie scene so far. Yep, exactly. Grasping at straws. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's Jeez. tough. It's really tough. There's not much in this Will field Smith this year. A lot. So, um, you know what's one? Actually, I just thought of it. Shia LaBeouf and Honey Boy. Nope. Why? Not gonna because he is not going to lend himself to a campaign. That is not gonna happen in a million years. But uh, but that's not what I'm getting at here in terms of him actually getting the nomination. I think that critics could put him in the conversation. It's the best performance he's probably ever given. It has a fall release date uh, from Amazon. November 8th, 2019 is when the film is coming out. And I'm, tell- I'm telling you, I saw the film at Sundance. It's the best thing he's ever done. Yeah, I've heard similar uh, praise. I-, I agree with Michael. I think it would take a lot for him to... Uh, he would have to really do one of those, um, not apology <laughs> press tours, but kind of a reconciling image tour. He would have to He would have to be a good boy. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. He really likes movies with, movies with honey in the title, huh? Between American yeah. Honey, mm-hmm. Honey Boy. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Uh, okay. So moving on to the Best Supporting Actress, uh, Octavia Spencer for Loose. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Double nominate her with Ma and I'll be happy. <laughs> I Yes, please. <laughs> for the love of God, somebody make that happen. <laughs> She's bound to win a second Oscar any year now. I agree. I, yeah. I totally agree. I don't see the buzz for Annette Benning in the report. And I also have to say, too, just in regards to how Amazon is choosing to release that film with a two-week theatrical run and then immediately to streaming right after, I don't know if that is what you would consider a vote of confidence in yeah, the movie. Uh, I've heard uh, that shitty. they had plans to do it, like Manchester by the Sea, and then as they sort of started to go through the year and see what else was on the horizon, seeing how this would fare, they decided, I guess, it was best to do it uh, limited in theaters and then right on to uh, streaming. I think it's pretty clear at this point that Emma Thompson is not supporting for late night. Yep. So we would have to remove her from uh, supporting there and put her into lead. Uh, Zhao Shuzen, uh, I hope I'm saying that correct, from The Farewell. Trust me when I tell you all, I think when you see this movie, Aquafina is obviously going to get the majority of the notice and the praise. But I think that Zhao uh, Shuzen could actually be a stealth supporting actress contender. She is the uh, the grandmother mm. uh, that the story revolves around. And she is quite affecting in that role. I could if there's love for the farewell, I could very easily see that happening. Um, obviously, I think we have to take Margot Robbie out of our predictions for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, definitely. I think so. A lot of listeners want us to put a plug in for Billy Lord, it looks like. So we got to at least put it out. I would love that. <laughs> I, I will definitely put a plug in for it. I don't think that that is seriously going to happen, but I could see a similar thing that happened for Jesse Plemons last year in Game Night. Where yeah. critics reach yeah. for a comedic supporting performance that just really grabbed them. And I could definitely see Billy Lord uh, in that conversation. Yeah. She's going to win the New York Film Critics, isn't she? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're just so averse to comedies in general, unfortunately. Um, couple that with a movie that didn't make a ton of money, probably isn't getting any other nominations. And. Uh, I'll be I'll be screaming for her all year. Don't worry, but <laughs> I don't think it's gonna happen. Oscar was unfortunately. Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, other than that, 
Anything else for supporting actress? I thought Tilda Swinton was great in the souvenir, but I don't think that's going anywhere near Oscars. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. We're now moving on to best actor, which, you know, it's funny. Typically speaking, uh, best actor, usually I feel like it is a stacked lineup, but not really. (laughs) Not (laughs) Not really really at all. At least not yet. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory, I think, is at the top of everyone's uh, predictions right now. Of what we've seen so far, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Next, you got to have, I guess, potentially DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't know how far that will extend because, you know, he took off for a couple of years. He's back now. I think that instead of getting an Oscar nomination for a welcome back, it's going to just be more like, hey, we're going to praise you because we love you. And, you know, you're going to have to kill yourself again in order to <laughs> get that Oscar nom. <laughs> so I don't I don't uh, foresee that panning out, but I do see him being in the conversation. Same for Taron yeah. Edgerton for Rocket Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taron's definitely my lineup just by default of what we've seen so far. And I mean, talk about a really obvious Golden Globe nominee right there. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, totally. Has anyone here seen Yesterday yet? Yes, I did. You know, because you're talking Golden Globe comedy musical right now. Do you yeah. think Himesh Patel could get like a surprise uh, nomination possibly. there? I found him very charming. I found the movie extremely overwhel- underwhelming uh, overall, uh, but I, I could see it. Um, they tend to like performances like that, especially musical comedy at the Globes. I, I think that's as far as he and the movie in general goes. I think that in terms of a performance from earlier in the year that could find its way through critics groups the same way I feel like critics groups really pushed for um, Ben Foster last year. I could, I could almost see Mads Mikkelsen for Arctic. Mm-hmm. I, I could see critics groups being like, yo, it, it's him pretty much the entire movie man versus nature. He's a great actor. We've never had a chance to really recognize him before. I, I that's something that I could see happening. Uh, another one that also originally was in my mind and now has kind of left it is Zac Efron for Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Yeah, yeah. no way. Yeah. Yeah. Too much bad blood around the discussion of that. It just was fairly, not controversial, but there was a lot of uh, discussion about it. I, I yeah. agree with you. I think it still stands that was the best thing that he's done. And I remember thinking <laughs> I remember thinking when when I saw the film at Sundance last year, well, if Rami Malek is going to win for Bohemian Rhapsody, then this is potentially a chance, right? Like anything could happen. <laughs> Matt, I'm having flashbacks to that year where you kept trying to push Woody Harrelson for Glass Castle. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, let, let's let it go for Zach. <laughs> and then I think I kept that alive for a little bit after it even screened. You and kept I remember... it alive until SAG. Yeah, I definitely remember I kept it alive. August. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Matthias Schoenhartz, the Mustang. Maybe he's really, he's really good in it. Yeah, it, I was. I agree. Indy Spirits. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, backtracking here for a second to the report. I had mentioned that Amazon uh, was dropping it for another contender that they wanted to make their top tier. Mm-hmm. We heard this past week. Uh, just to give context, the movie that they're apparently putting all their weight behind is the Aeronauts. Yeah. Yeah. Which I had heard through the grapevine that this could bring Felicity Jones, her Oscar win. Yeah. I'm hearing that that's where mm-hmm. they're going to put all the weight that they initially saved for the report. Mm-hmm. It's all going to go to this. And you know what? That movie has the kind of uh scale to it uh, from maybe potentially from a visual standpoint that could wow people 
as well and contend in other categories across yeah, the line. You're opening a week early in IMAX. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see that premiering at one of the earlier no. festivals, Venice, yeah. Oh, Venice and TIFF, I would say. That doesn't feel like a Telluride film to me. It looks like uh, Steampunk Gravity. So, I mean, that worked out for Sandra Bullock. Hmm. <laughs> and then uh, the last best actor, I-, I guess it is Calvin Harrison Jr. for Loose, I suppose. I mean, but I just don't, I don't know. That film will really have to take off for that to happen, I feel like. I, I, yeah. just, I just can't see it happening, but he is great. In the movie, there's like no doubt that how good he is in this. You know what they're gonna do. Uh, Don't you dare put that on me, Michael. (laughs) I'm just, I'm preparing you, Matt. This is how it works. I know. I know. I can feel it. I don't like it though. It would be like True Grit, honestly. It would be. It would. It would be Haley Steinfeld and True Grit all over again. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. So we'll see. They'll nominate like young actresses in lead categories but young actors go supporting (sighs) all right lead actress this is a very stacked category and a lot i feel like could happen here right now uh we have elizabeth moss and her smell we have sienna miller for american woman we have aquafina for the farewell ah I, I could keep going here. We got Emma Thompson for Late Night. Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore for Gloria Bell. Jesse Buckley for Wild Rose. Lupita, maybe. Lupita Nyongo, yep, for us. Emma Thompson. Alfre Woodard for Clemency. Yep. I mean, that's getting a late release date right in the middle of the award season. And I know for a fact that they are going to be pushing her like extremely hard. Yeah, that's neon, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you should have it right at the top there. I, I, I would I would suggest to all of you, like, that is the kind of nomination as far as just, yeah, I would I would keep an eye out for that. <laughs> uh, am I missing anybody? Um, how is Naomi Watson loose? I think she's great, but I I don't know. Like, it's not her Yeah, I was going to say, right? It, she, I think she's phenomenal in it, and she cries, and she has a big... Like she has like two big Oscar scenes, you know, for like the clip. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It, uh, you're right, Casey. It's not her movie. It feels like the film belongs to Calvin and uh, Octavia. Yeah. Like you don't leave that movie thinking about her, unfortunately, even though she is great. Yeah. Uh, anything else from the first half of the year uh, missing? I mean, the only thing I would say, and it really is more of a Golden Globe push but Charlize Theron really is great in long shot oh yeah the Golden Globes for yeah, sure she's mm-hmm. terrific not Oscar but they like her there too yeah yeah she got young adult and Tully mm-hmm. yeah I can absolutely see that yeah totally yeah. absolutely I could see that yeah. happening and it'll, it'll class up the red carpet and they love that <laughs> is there anyone right now from the first half of the year that has been seen though that is currently in your actual predictions I have Lupita, but it's just wishful thinking. I just want to keep it out in the universe. I don't. The more we talk, the more I'm like, it's not going to happen. Sadly. I have Alfre Woodard in my predictions right now. Yeah, I have her and Aquafina from what's been seen, but that's it. Anyone else? Just Alfre. Okay. Yeah. And I, as I said earlier, I don't see Florence Pugh gaining the same level of traction that uh, Tony Collette received for Hereditary last year, although the performances in many ways are um, somewhat identical to a certain extent. So she has a lot of big scenes and she gets to do a lot in the movie. So 
we'll see how far uh, that goes, but I don't anticipate it going far. All right. So then uh, picture director uh, kind of go hand in hand, obviously. So what are we looking at right now from the first half of the year as a picture director uh, potential there? A hidden life. Okay. So Terrence Malick, hidden life. Yeah. He's had some uh, success with the Academy before. Tree of, Tree of Life, obviously, uh, three Oscar nominations that year. And I do think Almodovar gets in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Almodovar for Pain and Glory. Not for picture necessarily, but I think he could be a lone director nominee. I mean, we saw this year uh, the director's branch really go for um, some really, you know, unique picks that were not your like they they were they were predicted more towards the end. But I think if you said a couple months before the actual nominations came out, hey, these would be the director five. I think most people would have been like, wait, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm still going to be skeptical of lone director noms, even though we've had two at this point. I mean, there was buzz about the Cold War one happening, so it didn't come out of nowhere, but that was very last minute. I'm yeah. just going to I'm going to wait until I predict that. Yeah, for the time being, so we're more close to sure. it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't think Jordan Peele is going to repeat his success that he had with Get Out for us. So no. I think that no. that is going to fade away. I think The Farewell uh, could contend for Best Picture. Like I said before, I currently have it in screenplay, but I could see that film getting enough number one love and support, potentially. Yeah. It seems like one of those movies where once people see it, it seems like you just fall in love with it and just want. To, cam- to champion it, right? which I think will yeah. play well for it. I have that around like the 15 range right now, so it's definitely in the conversation. Uh, where do we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I know that we kind of said before it's more below the line, but are we underestimating that? Because the Rotten Tomatoes score is really high right now. Yeah, I have it have up it there, there because un- until proven otherwise, you have to consider Tarantino just based on his phenomenal Oscar track record for the most part. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the reaction was positive mix, but of course there was controversy. So we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Well, we saw yeah. last year with something like Vice, where like something can have that like controversial word of mouth and still get a bunch of nominations. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think that's definitely worth considering as well. Do you have loose in Best Picture, Matt? I don't, and it kills oh, me. I, I I know. I know. I feel like it is more of a screenplay acting contender. I I want it to be. Believe me, it's the best thing I've seen this year, easily. But, and I, I hope to God I'm not hyping this up for people too much. Uh, <laughs> I really, really do. I'm no, getting a little. I worried about that when I saw it, and I was like, and that was before I'd even seen a trailer, and I was like, is he going to overhype this movie? But you, you didn't. No, it, and I think the benefit of it, not a lot of people knowing what it's about, I think that that benefits it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. Oh, man, as I'm looking here, I got to. All right. I'm going to just say it again because Josh Parham isn't here to tell me otherwise. Avengers Endgame. What about it? (laughs) I'm saying that I I still think there is a possible universe where there is a group of people that try to will that to happen. Oh, they will. Twitter will be screaming, but I I still don't. No, no, no. I'm not I'm not talking about even Twitter. I mean, like the industry. I think that Avengers Endgame represents something for the industry that there's a lot of people within the Academy that will take a look at that over like that, that, that just overriding success, that culmination of what Marvel has done. And I could see a compelling 
reason for them to want to vote for it. However, um, I do want to also just preface by saying I can also see a world where it does not get 300 number one votes. <laughs> and that makes complete and total sense to me. Uh, however, I think that just when you consider the narrative, you can't deny that the narrative doesn't exist. I just feel like there's been a lot of very deserved animosity towards Disney lately in terms of them just gobbling at the industry, both money-wise and in actual uh, acquisition of property-wise. Yeah. And without the social push that Black Panther had and the uh, optics of that, I really don't think Endgame can overcome that. No, no, no. I, I, I Just be clear. I'm not predicting Avengers Endgame. No, totally. I'm definitely not <laughs> predicting it. All I'm saying, though, is... I don't anticipate the discussion about it to just go away. I do think there is going to be talk about it, at least for a little while. And then I if think I we snap have to my finger, will it go away? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Try it. See what happens. I think we have to mention Rocket Man too for Best Picture. I I don't know. I, know. I didn't I didn't think Bohemian Rhapsody had a chance in hell. Yeah. So yeah. It's not I mean, the, it's not making the numbers that Bohemian is, but it's making respectable money for a non IP. Not even original per se, but still that type of movie. I, I don't think that yeah. – I think the comparisons to Bohemian Rhapsody and it being so close, I, I think that hurts it. And the fact that it isn't making as much money, even if it is making good money for you know its budget, I think the fact that it's not making as much money as Bohemian Rhapsody since those films are so closely compared, I think that hurts it in, just in terms of perception. Like it's seen as a inferior choice uh, for that reason. Yeah. What about, what about this idea that just like how people rallied behind the big sick in eighth grade for a best picture push, what about the passion that's there for Booksmart? Um, I love possibly, it, but, I but neither it. of those movies got best picture nominations in the end. Exactly. So. Yeah. yeah. There'll be, there'll be talk of it, definitely. And I will definitely be, be part of that talk, but I don't realistically think it's going to happen. Yeah. And I think there may be a couple of critics groups that might give it something. Uh, so it'll still be in the conversation, but it's 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 a long shot, I think. And then uh, the last thing I also want to bring up here, I know that the conversation is mostly in the international uh, feature film department, but we did just see Roma get a Best Picture nomination last year. Cold War, you have to imagine, was maybe close. Uh, is there a world where Parasite is a Best Picture contender? Definitely possible. I mean, in the recent memory Palm door winners have gotten in there. I mean, Amor was there. It's it's possible. Okay. All right. Well, that pretty much then uh, wraps up our conversation then about the potential Oscar hopefuls from 2019 so far. There is a lot more to come, obviously. Uh, we're going to be receiving uh, towards the end of August when we get to the Labor Day weekend, Telluride, Venice, and everything else kind of just... Barrels on down the hill. It's going to uh, definitely hit us like an avalanche. So it should be a lot of fun to see uh, how the race shapes up. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning. And you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. 
Moving over to the polls really quick. Uh, well, we um, I'm really curious to know what the answer is here. Uh, so we asked everyone last week which Toy Story film is their favorite. Everybody has given their answers. As we said before, they're pretty interchangeable for the most part. To no surprise, uh, Toy Story 4 uh, got the least amount of votes, and it's in fourth place. In third place is Toy Story, the original, from 1995. Mm-hmm. And then in second place and first place, with a difference of six votes. Wow. Wow. Toy Story 2 in the number two spot and Toy Story 3 in the number one spot. I think two and three are so interchangeable. It's really, there's no wrong answer. Right. Like you said, I mean, they're all nine out of 10 or above easily. So, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter who wins. They're all great. Nah, uh, I think, yeah, I think for me, I think all like the first three are 10 out of 10 perfect movies to me. And the fourth one's a nine out of 10. And it's like, <laughs> as Michael said, you know, when you get like a 98 on a test, you're still ecstatic, you know, so <laughs> Uh, All right. So now for this week, we're looking forward to Danny Boyle's new film yesterday. Uh, Don't let Cody's underwhelming (laughs) response. uh, No, 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 (laughs) no. Listen, hey, I've been hearing that a lot lately. I I also don't see it as top tier Danny Boyle. However, I think if you're a Beatles fan and you like Danny Boyle's filmmaking style, I think there is something uh, there for you. So I highly recommend people still check it out regardless. It's definitely going to get the type of people who were like, but but I mean, Rhapsody, you got to hear Queen on the big speakers. It's fun. Like that kind of people. Mm. But it's that sounds very dismissive. I know. But uh, <laughs> it definitely has <laughs> I'm that like similar the, appeal. I'm like the biggest Beatles fan. And I think this movie looks dumb. But that's also like I'm very <laughs> critical. So I don't know. Maybe I will go in. With an open mind. We'll see. Well, this week we're asking everyone which is their favorite Danny Boyle film. So the poll has every film that he's directed. You could go on there and choose your favorite. I'll start off by saying that my favorite Danny Boyle film is the underappreciated, undervalued, underseen Steve Jobs. That is also mine, Matt. Thank you. I think it would be Steve Jobs for me, but I also really love Train Spotting. Train Spotting, I think, is my number ooh, my number three. Uh, there, I would say, in terms of his filmography. I love Slumdog Millionaire. I know it might be kind of cliche to say that at this point. I, I like it too. One. Sorry. I, that's the only one I love of his whole filmography. I don't know what happened, I, yeah. though, with uh, Slumdog. It seems like in recent years it's gotten a bad rap from people, and I don't understand why. Boy, I don't know either. I mean, I was just entranced with it at the time. Yeah. I just want to give a shout-out to what the challenge was for him to film 127 hours. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not my favorite film, but but boy, oh boy, if you're faced with film, trying to find an interesting way to visualize that, mm-hmm. uh, he did it. Yeah, in terms of uh, accomplishment, I think I prefer that directing to Slumdog personally. And he didn't get a Best Director nomination. Well, you know for which it. one is good? Yeah, it, I haven't seen it in years, so I can't say it's like a, as great as Slumdog. But I remember liking Millions. Oh yeah, no, I know a lot of people that like Millions. Yeah, I don't know many people that like The Beach. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm like the only person mm-hmm. who likes a life less ordinary. I love that movie because I loved Ewan McGregor and I like totally stand hard for that movie. I know a lot of people that love the first two thirds of Sunshine and hate the third, uh, last third. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, count me in there. Yeah. Uh, I also know that there are a tremendous amount of people that really, really appreciate his work on 28 Days Later. I, I know I'm one of those people. I remember getting the Blu-ray of that and thinking that there was something wrong with my Blu-ray because I was like, why is this not like this looks hazy and it's not sharp? Like, like what is what's going on here? Oh, yeah, it looks like a home video. Exactly. Because yeah. it was shot digitally. And so I remember just being so 
<laughs> off put by that. And then I found out later that that was the intention of why of how he shot it. So uh, my experience with that movie has definitely grown over time. I think he's a very dynamic, hyperkinetic filmmaker with a very distinct style. I think that he has this visual flair that he brings to all of his movies that always makes them somewhat exciting, even if they don't sometimes work on a story level. Yeah, they're never boring to look at. Although I will say that, sorry, yesterday I forgot it was directed by Danny Boyle at some points. It was kind of really basic in its direction for the most part. Yeah, yeah. No, like I said, it's not top tier Boyle. I, I would not I would not put it up there. Uh, I've never seen Trance. Has anyone here seen Trance with James McAvoy? Oh, my new friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that's one I might have to ca- catch at some point. Either way. Starring Mrs. Cory Booker. <laughs> All right. So head on over to the polls page over at nextbestpicture.com. Vote there for your favorite Danny Boyle film. And definitely check out yesterday for that will be our podcast review for this week. Uh, before we go, uh, we are going to now just look at a trailer uh, that released this week. A South by Southwest film that is currently holding a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and got a very enthusiastic response so much so that when the trailer dropped everybody couldn't wait to comment about how much they loved this movie so now it's got us really curious and also it is written and directed by michael schwartz no 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 not not that michael schwartz uh another (laughs) michael schwartz uh along with tyler nilson this is the peanut butter falcon sheep in this world and there are wolves in this world I know that you two boys are just two weary travelers who lost your way. So, we're going to clean you up right with a baptism. I'm more of a baptism by fire type. Okay. Come to my wrestling school and become a badass. That's what he wants to do with the rest of his life. Yes, it is. You let a half-naked boy with Down syndrome who has no idea how to get along in this world just slip out from under your nose. You two are close. We are. Well, then you'll figure out where he's at and you'll bring him back. Are you following me? Maybe we could be friends and buddies, bro dogs, and chill. Have a good time. See the wrestling schools, maiden? Yes. One long road leads all the way down. I'll drop you there then. I'm looking for a missing person. Have you seen him? A little man on a lamb. Make your girlfriend back there, Eleanor. Two bandits on the run. Oh, yeah. oh yeah! Rule number one, don't slow me down. Rule number two, I'm in charge. Hey, what's rule number one? Party. No, not party. Zach, you have a young boy with Down syndrome in the middle of nowhere. All right, well, while you've been doing paperwork, we've been doing something called living. Oh, man! Tyler, I'm gonna give you all of my wishes for my birthday. I made a promise to him, give him that wrestling school in Aiden. No, we're not gonna hop on your little raft and cruise around down the river. Hey, Eleanor, I don't wanna go home. Oh, oh, oh. So how far is it? About that far in the map. Are your fingers to scale? Yep. I think it's time for us to go back now. We could be a family. Friends are the family you choose. Wrestlers got alter egos. You need a name. 
Falcon. Peanut butter Falcon! It was such an honor to work on this film. Spent <laughs> <laughs> time with the legendary Bruce Stern and Dakota Johnson, even Shia LaBeouf. He really came around. It looks so really you, good, Michael. Michael. I know. I can't wait to see it. It's going to warm my heart. Thank you. Thank you. I don't remember who I asked, but I did ask somebody who saw it on Twitter because it, it, it reminded me of Hunt for the Wilder People. And the person replied, yes, you'll get like a similar vibe as you got from that. So I was like, OK, that's good. <laughs> I was like, a crazy title. Yeah. I did not know what yeah. to expect from that title. No, on the marquee, I would be. I, I, what is it like a bird eating peanut butter? I don't get it. <laughs> you know, yeah. we have our reasons. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, very likable cast. I, I think John Hawks, Bruce Dern, as Michael said, John Bernthal, you know, love, love seeing him pop up and supporting roles all the time. Thomas, Thomas Hayden, Hayden Church. Church. Nice to see him. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good to see him. I'm really also glad Dakota Johnson's star is taking off. I, I really enjoy her even in the Fifty Shades movies. I think she has a lot of talent. I can't believe that uh, she's still, I mean, like, I feel like she's still in the infant stages of her career. Like, I feel that we haven't seen her full potential yet. There's still so much that she has to give. She just reminds me a lot of Kristen Stewart in terms of their career. You know, started a uh, not great franchise and then kind of found their art niche where, Mm -hmm. you know, Kristen Stewart found Olivia Alcius and Dakota Johnson seems to have found Guadagnino. So I I really have hope for her career. Yeah. Can I say it? I think Shia looks charming in this. Yes. Yeah. And obviously he looks like it's going to be that one of those, um, uh, you know, you see this a lot in the in screenwriting 101, you know, the hard exterior uh, lead character who goes on this unwilling journey and he changes through a VN based on the people he interacts with, learns something about himself, et cetera. You know, and he shields uh, sheds uh, aspects of his past or something like that, you know. So uh, I, I can definitely see a scenario where he's this unlikable character at first. And then by the end, he's all smiles and oh, look at his beard, you know, and we're like, oh, Shia, want to want a hug? <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm definitely going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I almost didn't recognize him without a paper bag over his head. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, Michael, wasn't a lot of work on set to get him to take that off his head. We had to use a lot of CGI to make it look the right way. So brave. I uh, smiled really giddily when I heard uh, the voice of Mick Foley, uh, WWE wrestler known as Mankind, Cactus Jack, Dude Love. Uh, Apparently, there's this movie takes a wrestling angle. So I don't know what his official role will be in the movie. Maybe it's all just a voiceover for this commercial that plays and that's it. But when I heard the voice, I was like, who is that? I know that voice, you know, (laughs) so that was really neat. Uh, and then just in terms of its place, it's coming out actually uh, very soon. It's coming out on August 9th. Uh, this definitely does not scream as an awards player necessarily, but looks like it could be one of those charming indie films that uh, we look back on fondly as like one of the more enjoyable movies of 2019 potentially. So for like first time an emerging director, can they be duos? I'm trying to remember. Does it have to be an individual director? Well, as far as like DGA for rules? For like indie spirits and... Oh, mm. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know the ruling. I don't know the ruling on that. We'll have to find out. Okay. So uh, that'll pretty much do it here for this week in terms of uh, our topics for episode 148. Anybody have anything else to add before we go? Box office. Mm. 
yes. put some numbers in. And I think people are interpreting these numbers the wrong way. Okay. Because Toy Story opened to 118 million. Oh, okay. The victim of some sky high expectations. Uh, the predictions were around 160. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember some kids are still in school, especially elementary school kids. Families right. are you know busy over the weekend. This will have massive legs over the next couple of weeks, especially Fourth of July. Do not cry for Toy Story Four. I mean, it's also got a bigger opening weekend than Toy Story Three did. Oh yeah, it's the biggest opening of the franchise. Yeah, it's just you know you have ten years with inflation and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but you know it didn't open Father's Day either, like Toy Story Three did. And I'm sure tons of people went. People go to the movies over Father's Day. I, I did just notice here too that Toy Story Four did open up in more theaters though than Toy Story 3 did. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's all going to balance out. People will go over the holiday. It's still probably going to make well over $400 million domestically. I am yeah, not and I think, the least bit concerned. And I think word of mouth of, oh, it's not a cash grab and it's very good, I think will benefit it, definitely. Right, that's why you saw The Inc- uh, Incredibles 2 open so much higher last year mm-hmm. because it was the first sequel and people were so ready to jump on board with that. Yeah. Whereas they see Toy Story 4 and think, oh, do I need to see this? But people are going to say, oh, you do have to see it. So there's plenty of time before The Lion King. People will get out and see it. Hmm. All right. I, I definitely was a little surprised at first by the number. Uh, but then, yes, you're right, Michael, doing a little bit of digging, realizing it was the best of the franchise. Uh, I don't know why, but I kind of had this in my mind that Toy Story 3 opened up to much, much more back in 2010. Oh, only $110 million, which was actually seen as a little bit of a disappointment in the same way mm-hmm. because it was only like 10 10- million more than what Alice in Wonderland did a few months prior. Mm. But it had it had rock solid legs and it played and played and played. Yeah. Right. Just like this it will, I'm sure. Plus it'll do well during the week. You know, kids are out of school. They're gonna go with, you know, the babysitter on Tuesday morning. I, I'm just a little I'm just still like a little bit I don't want to say disappointed. It's not necessarily the word, but I'm a little concerned though that we are putting all of our hopes in terms of the industry succeeding right now at the box office. It seems like the weight is all on Disney at the moment. Yeah, Get your mouse here. That's where we're going. I mean, a month from now, we have The Lion King, which is going to open up to huge box office numbers, I'm sure. Spider-Man Far From Home is opening up in a few days. That's going to probably do better than Homecoming did. I mean, the word of mouth around that, actually, uh, we got some reactions for that. And those were through the roof. I was really surprised at some of the things that people were saying. Uh, saying it's better than even Spider-Man 2, which is like kind of considered a gold standard amongst the uh, superhero genre. So we'll see. We'll see how things uh, play out. But I am definitely a little concerned that Disney seems to be the only studio that is really performing well. And nothing else seems to be really grabbing headlines other than, oh, this opens up to disappointing numbers. Oh, this is considered a flop, etc. All right. Anything else? No. Good. Okay. All right. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 148 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Michael, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Cody Derricks. You can find me everywhere at CodyMonster91. Casey Lee Clark. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Deanne Knighton. I'm at in and on Twitter at TweedledeeD33. And last but not least, Tom O'Brien. <laughs> And you can find me on Twitter at 
at Thomas E. O'Brien. You can find me at Next Best Picture. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We are actually uh, pretty close to a uh, goal. We are at 145 reviews right now on Apple Podcasts. We're trying to hit a goal of 200 before the end of the year. So if you like the show and you've never gone on there and rated us five stars before, please do so. And if you want to leave a comment, they're always very, very helpful and good insight. You know, we really, really appreciate the feedback and, of course, your support. And if you want to lend more support over at Patreon for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Uh, We are still continuing our 2015 retrospective. We will be delivering a podcast review of Inside Out this week to coincide with the release of Toy Story 4, which I revisited the other day and was a tremendous, tremendous delight. And... One last thing, one last housekeeping item. I cannot believe I failed to mention this at the top of the show, but the 2015 NBP Film Community Awards, the nominations, the ballots, they are out right now. You can vote for those on the site, scroll through the blog page. Trust me, you'll see the post. It's in black and white, big, big NBP Film Community letters written across it. You can fill out the ballot there. It's also pinned to our Twitter account at the top. So if you want to vote on the nominations for 2015 Rewrite History, this is your chance. You can fill those out before July 1st. Thank you so much once again for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Next time.